Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 12, issue 572. And today we're going to talk about Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. And joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue, Brian Edwards. Jita Watapatanini Bobo. How many times, how many times have I heard that clip, but never re- read better than that? Beautiful. Uh, Leah, how do? Beep boop. <laughs> and Rich Davison. Hello, meatbags. Hi. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is, I think, the third of our little run of various Star Wars games from different eras and genres that we thought we'd do this year. But this one was actually nominated by Rich for the show. I can't remember in which order things happened. I think maybe I'd already thought about doing some Star Wars and then Rich mentioned this one. And so it all came together nicely. It's also celebrating its anniversary but what is it for the uninitiated it's a western computer role-playing game based in the star wars universe really uh it was for console and pc here's your spoiler warning though because this game has a story which is very spoilable but we must start with rich so what was it that made you nominate this is your one pick for the volume in 2023. Yeah, I, I thought it was being so clever, you know. I was like, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm going to be the one that breaks the the kind of seal on the Star Wars shows oh. for Kane and Rince. <laughs> and um, I think I sort of hinted at it um, ahead of time. And you were like, oh, I think I might be doing some um, as part of the show. So it kind of took the shine a little bit off there. But no, nonetheless, oh, um, sorry. N- not at all. Um, <laughs> I, I, I kind of always wanted to do star wars i love star wars i grew up with star wars you know um in the last show i guess you kind of went around the panel and did a bit of a part of history of everybody's relationship with star wars yeah let us know um wow so i i I can't remember a time where i wasn't watching star wars i think we had a vhs taped off like itv of the empire strikes back so i've definitely seen in Mm. a weird order like all of them out of sequence and osmos the like over time I, i don't remember ever seen them in in like a chronological order or anything like that but um it's always been tied up with like video gaming for me like the first star wars game that i played was star wars on the sega master system the interesting one Mm. which starts you off on a a sort of almost like top down uh speeder on an open world a great game really good game um and i played that to death and have subsequently basically devoured all of the star wars games pretty much ever created since then with the exception of um the the newest one jedi is it fallen order i think or survivor, survivor. yeah so I'll, I'll get to that in, in due course um in terms of kotor wow um it just came at a really formative time in my life i was uh just about to turn 18 so before women and alcohol ruined me for a couple of years nice little republic <laughs> hit uh, i was preparing to do my a levels I had absolutely no obligations, no aspirations, and this just just came over me. It's so tied in with uh, a period of my life where basically every weekend was just couch co-op gaming, going around everybody's house and just sitting there and and letting every single title kind of come over you without any sense of responsibility for for life in general. I just think it's a a great game. I won't kind of spoil my thoughts on it in Mm. general. But um, yeah, just if you're going to do Star Wars and the Kingdom Rinse, KOTOR seems like the one to go for. So I was like, yeah, this is an easy pick for Volume 12. Definitely one of the many, many games that people have sort of said, can't believe you haven't done this one yet. Yep. As if there aren't like 8 million games. But uh, but here we are. 
Anyway, uh, Leah, what about you and this game and any uh, love for Star Wars? Yeah, so I, I think I think when the original trilogy came out, it was kind of an awkward t- like because I the first one obviously came out before I was born, but the other the other two, you know, I was I I, I was a thing. I was I was there. I was alive. Um, but but I was really too young to get anything out of them. So I watched them pretty early in childhood for the first time. And, like, I'm old enough to remember the stuff about, you know, the remastered versions and Mm -hmm. people throwing their biggest hissy fits about that. And, you know, and was in high school when the prequels came out and actually might have pictures somewhere. Um, I went with a friend who went in cosplay as Amidala. Uh, Um, I did not, unfortunately. Um, I know, I really missed a trick. If I were going today, believe me, I would. I was not quite sure. as willing to make myself look like an idiot on purpose um, as I am now. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, I, I have a history with uh, with Star Wars, I would say. I think, well, no, okay, no. So I, I was going to say that I think this is maybe the first Star Wars game I played, but that's not true. Because I definitely played some um, on my, par- my parents, um, I guess it would have been an Atari 5200 um mm. i think that's the one where they had like the star wars game that was basically just a bunch of white dots on a black screen and you had like you had like a little shooty shooty yeah, capabilities yeah. and you know could target the the things coming in at you i remember playing that yeah. very very young um but I, I i can't really remember playing much in the way of star wars games between that and this uh and this i played for the first time I would have been uh, in uh, grad school, and so you know it would have been e- either right when it came out or shortly thereafter. And uh, I enjoyed it a great deal. And then I played it again this most recent time. I-, I don't think that I played it at all, really, in between now and then. So it's been like at probably somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty years since I played the game last. Mm. And um, this time I played. An original Xbox disc, but I did um, use it in the Series X, so I, ah. I guess it wasn't really, you know, it was just reading the uh, the license off the disc. Yes. But um, I do own a copy of the disc. I, I was going to try and play it on my Steam Deck, but um, as I'm sure we'll get into, I've heard that there's some kind of issues with the PC version, mm. so I decided not to mess with that and just go for the one that just worked. Mm. Good stuff. Now, Brian, we know you have a, a bit of love in your life, in your heart for Star Wars from sure. your uh, appearance on the previous show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what about Knights of the Old Republic? Yeah, so I think I got an Xbox in 2004, I believe. I I saved up for it because I, I bought into the Fable hype. So I wanted to play Fable, in which I needed an Xbox. And, uh, very, and I had not played Knights of the Old Republic until then. I, I believe they were, I think... Nice Old Republic was 2003, and then Fable was 2004, so it was about a year and a half afterwards. I had Nothing was spoiled for me, but I had heard great things about it, so uh, when I got my Xbox and played Fable, um, the next game I got for it, the second game I owned, was Nice of the Old Republic, and um, I was living in an apartment with my best friend at the time, and, and we just we just dove right into it and kind of played it nonstop, and he had a save file where he was playing as as a renegade, and I and or it wasn't titled Ren- Dark Jedi, not Renegade back then, and uh, and I was yeah. definitely being a goody two shoes, and we were kind of comparing and contrasting and seeing what the different things were. It was Honestly. a really awesome experience. Um, 
and then I've replayed it over the course. I think I finished it the end of April. Um, I definitely wanted to get it in uh, before some of the bigger releases that came out this month of recording. So um, I finished it then, and I, like Leah, I actually bought and started the Steam version of this game, and in about five to seven hours into that playthrough, I straight noped out of that, got my old Xbox disc out, and then put it in my Series X and restarted and played the whole thing um, on an Xbox Series X. Um, yeah, so that's pretty pretty much... I, I played it, dipped back once or twice over the years, but I think I only played it to completion twice, once originally and then now for this playthrough. Cool. I don't think I'd properly attempted a Bioware game before this. I may have just poked at Baldur's Gate or something like that, but I do remember this being released and me being extremely excited, uh, I guess, aged uh 31ish 30 something like that uh 32 maybe um and rushing out the morning of release and buying a game and rushing home like you did back in those days and uh playing it on my Xbox and I have what I can only think now is a false memory that I've realized must have been a false memory going back to the game and playing it for the show I remembered that I got to Kashyyyk or I think they pronounce it differently at this point in the <laughs> in the mythos <laughs> uh which is now a star wars legend anyway the wookie planet and my recollection for years was i'd played this game for 55 hours and then stopped and when i got to the wookie planet on this playthrough i had played for about 10 hours 12 <laughs> hours something like that so i think maybe at some point in my mind 15 hours got converted to 55 um, I'm not sure because the it's game pretty isn't impressive to spend 55 hours. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> 40 hours and... of Pazak, I'm sure. Well, <laughs> yes, I, I may have played a bit more Pazak and I may have done more swoop racing, but I still think, yeah, that would have been a lot of time. But I, I do wonder because I didn't like going back to it now, post Dragon Age, post Mass Effect, I do kind of I knew what I knew how it worked, whereas then it was all a bit new and mysterious and a little bit complicated and maybe i did really i am notoriously slow especially with games i'm not familiar and comfortable with so it is possible but um yeah i may have just added a few hours <laughs> on in my head over over the years but now after yeah i basically i drifted off from it back in 2003 4 um for a few reasons uh some of which are still pertinent and some of which have actually been kind of eradicated by my familiarity with the games that came after because it made sort of understanding what I was supposed to do and why a little bit clearer. So, yeah, I've now finished the game again, played the copy I downloaded in this case. I don't have the disc anymore on the Series X. And, yeah, the completion was about 30 hours. I played it all in normal difficulty until the final boss, which I whacked down too easy because... Yeah, it was either it was either that or probably play another 10 hours of swoop racing to <laughs> earn the money to get some better armor or something like that. And I ain't got time for that. So I like the go. idea of you spending 30 hours uh, thinking that you could talk <laughs> Kalo Nord out of shooting you as he's counting down for three, two, one, just trying every different option, just trying. I'm going to make this work. Uh, and of course, at some point in the intervening 20 years, the twist had been spoiled for me. So it wasn't, it was no longer a surprise, of course. Um, 
whether that detracted from the overall experience or not, I can't really say possibly, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll be interested to hear what your experience is that we've obviously, we've got some correspondence pertaining to that as well. Here's some correspondence starting with Rick Buxton from our Patreon, who says, I played this several years late due to having PlayStation consoles at the time of release and not owning a PC, but eventually did. And as memory serves, I absolutely loved it. Perhaps it even began a shift in my gaming taste from Eastern to Western as I moved away from Japanese role-playing games and more towards your Bioware and Bethesda RPGs. It was developed by the Canadian, I think that's right, yes, Bioware, uh, most famous at this point for their computer games rather than console games, whereas this one was, uh, obviously there was a PC version and Mac, but it was uh, very much made with the Xbox in mind. Uh, so it's on the uh, Odyssey engine, their proprietary in-house kit. It was published by LucasArts. Uh, the director was Casey Hudson, who went on to work on the Mass Effect trilogy. And yeah, that's true of, of most of, of the staff. Uh, and yeah, this is very much a precursor to that. It was released on the original Xbox in July 2003 in North America. And Back when we used to have to wait for things in Europe, it arrived a few months later in September 2003. Matt L from our forum says, The praise that Knights of the Old Republic received, plus my relative boredom with the lack of software for GameCube, convinced me to buy the OG Xbox, and I was not disappointed. KOTOR, as we may refer to it, has everything that makes Star Wars great, likeable characters, beautiful alien worlds, and a sense of galactic exploration and, and adventure. Bioware clearly understood the assignment, and it made me a lifelong fan of theirs. At least I was until Mass Effect, Andromeda, and Anthem. The Windows version arrived November-December 2003, and the Mac version September 2004. More recently, it came to iOS and Android in 2013 and 14, respectively. And Ventus, also from our forum, says, In terms of game and console memories being tightly bound, KOTOR and the Xbox stands out to me as one of the most vivid. The Xbox wasn't a console I needed as such, but being a gamer kid with no concept of saving money and an avid Star Wars fan made this purchase inevitable. The game knocked me for six. It felt so deep and yet covered a huge breadth of the Star Wars universe. I've since replayed on mobile an actual great port and I'm slowly dipping in again on Series S. To me, a faultless and timeless title. The reviews at the time were absolutely glowing with both game rankings and Metacritic having the Xbox version on 94% and the PC version on 93%. OpenCritic has collated reviews of the switch version and has those at 84 percent metacritic has them at 83 which uh not bad for a 20 year old a fairly straight port of a, a slightly brushed up port of a 20 year old game user reviews pure xbox has 9.7 out of 10 but that was only from three people <laughs> uh, but they all loved it imdb from a lot more people has 9.5 out of 10 and again, over on Nintendo Life, which will likely reflect the Switch version, again, a very respectable 8.3 out of 10. Ashman86, also from our forum, says, Every once in a while I get the itch to play a specific kind of Star Wars game that can only be satisfied by replaying KOTOR from start to finish. The last time that occurred was in the lead-up to the release of The Rise of Skywalker, when my personal hype levels for Star Wars were as high as they'd been since I was a kid waiting in line to see The Phantom Menace. 
we don't have to go into how badly Rise of Skywalker let me and the whole saga down. There's a great deal about KOTOR that will probably feel outdated to modern gamers, but it's hard to overstate just what a phenomenon it was upon release. I was already a Bioware fan by this time, and after falling in love with Baldur's Gate and Neverwinter Nights, the studio was all but unknown to my console-bound friends. I remember KOTOR gripping nearly all of my friends and me in an addictive stupor that didn't relent until we'd rolled credits. One of my favourite memories is being over at a friend's house while his older brother was in the living room playing the game. Although it was mid-afternoon, he hadn't so much as showered for the day and was fixated on the screen. His very pretty fiance at the time asked him how much longer he'd be, to which he replied he wasn't sure. Then she leaned over and whispered something in his ear. He waved his hands and said, later, and she walked away rolling her eyes. To us, a bunch of teens, that was perhaps the highest praise a game could ever receive. <laughs> So the scenario and the story now mostly probably consigned to quotes legends post Disney purchase of Star Wars. But I don't think uh, I don't think our Star Wars series of podcasts is going to go too heavy on the uh, the Keeper of the Holocron type stuff. It's more about whether we enjoyed it. Uh, I'm not sure any of us, even those of us who have loved Star Wars since we were five years old in 1977 are quite that kind of yeah. obsessive about the law. It, it's it's um, a really odd one, isn't it? Because, you know, you see things that were at one point condemned to the, the Star Wars legend stuff being lifted out by Dave Filoni yeah. pretty much That's wholesale, it. you know? So it's yeah. difficult to kind of tell whether the boundaries begin and end at this point. And um, yeah, there's a fair amount of characters who have kind of appeared, not, well, not characters necessarily, but their archetypes definitely have been lifted and shifted into modern media from the Star Wars yeah. base, so... Good for sure. So obviously we're 20 years ago in terms of perhaps what we expected and what was possible in terms of scripting and casting and performances and how that's presented within the game. I think going back to it now, I find the the sort of the even these there's a lot of good actors in it, proper actors, great voice actors who have gone on to who already had great careers or have gone on to great careers. but overall, and I suppose it's kind of fitting for the time this came out, which was between episodes uh, two and three, the delivery was quite stilted and stiff. Mm-hmm. Um, there's very little kind of, there are some cutscenes and there's some little CGI renders and things here and there. But I would say overall, the presentation isn't wildly cinematic, certainly in terms of when you're having conversations, it tends to be two groups of people kind of walking up to each other and then standing there again, very <laughs> Very, very uh, appropriate to the prequels and George Lucas's direction of of, uh, <laughs> of dialogue scenes. Yeah. So I suppose it's, it's that got that kind of like soap opera style, you know, shot reverse mm. shot kind of thing where you just get mm-hmm. a very like very nineties kind of thing where very up close shot of somebody talking um, at a forty five degree angle to the camera, and then just the complete opposite on the other side and rinse and repeat until the conversation's over. So yeah, I get that. I think it's it's very all so- the time. At the time, at the time, I found that very impressive. I remember thinking that the, mm. the per- performances were incredible. But going back to it, I, I agree with mm. your take on it. But I, I took it as kind of like an, like a weird flex that they were so confident in their facial animations and stuff, which is something we hadn't seen a lot of yeah, at that point right. yet. So like, ha- like in my mind, I remember playing the game at the time, being like, their mouth looks like they're saying the words. You know, what I mean? it was like a big that was a big <laughs> deal to me at the time. And yeah. um, so I could see maybe the. Uh, the pull to use that to be like, well, we, we made all, 
we worked so hard to make sure these faces look as good as they could possibly look. So let's make sure they're front and center for every scene of dialogue. Well, when I think about the the dialogue and the conversations in these types of games in general, even more recent games, like I'm mm. I'm really thinking about Fallout 3 here, um, but like mm. it, it's not even, it's either the shot reverse shot or it's we are going to hold on this one character while you pick, while you pick dialogue options from this menu and they're probably not going to change their expression until you say something to them. So have fun Still. staring at this guy. That was only five years after this, and we're now 15 <laughs> years after that. Right. But um, I think some of that's still true, but certainly, yeah, what we expect from facial tech and lip syncing and all that has has moved on. Um, but if you kind of, you know, yeah, it's one of those things I think you can, you play it for a bit and you kind of settle back into it and it feels, I don't know, more like, a, yeah, watching an old puppet show or something in mm-hmm. some ways. Uh, I suppose what's more important then is is the writing and the characters and i think that's where there does seem to be an enormous amount of affection for this game right from the start really but even now uh people remembering uh certain characters and certain situations so the writer is drew carpishin who'd written for baldur's gate 2 and neverwinter nights which was certainly thinking about the kind of the way that essentially the the look of a crpg as was expected it was tended to be zoomed out little little tiny 2d characters and effectively with neverwinter nights and then with this and jade empire the graphics went to polygons and the camera started zooming in um and now you've got the games like pillars of eternity and um divinity original sin where they kind of I think you can kind of manipulate the camera in those because they're obviously they're polygon based, but actually the default is to kind of return to the CRPG style. Is that right? But here really you can move the camera around a bit, but it's very much like here's your CRPG genre, but it's, it's a lot more it's zoomed in effectively. Yeah. I mean, um, it's, it's, I would almost argue that it, while it definitely is a, crpg in style like there are there are many many points in this and this is this is something that uh changed kind of in my estimation um it just you know from my views between the first time i played the game and and now but like there are definitely times where like you can pretty much just see the dice rolling in the background Mm -hmm. Uh, but it 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 feels different from something to me from Mm. I would put like this and I, I haven't played Jade Empire actually, which I, I should, but um, it's that and like Mass Effect in kind of one style of, of this type of CRPG. And then yeah. something like Baldur's Gate 2 or Divinity or they're, they're almost closer to tile based games in a lot of respects. Uh, oh, and, yeah, and I'm not yeah. sure. I'm not sure whether that's just a, a stylistic thing or whether I have any like actual real basis for that. But um, mm. they, they just... They feel like different types of games to me. Top down tactical rather mm-hmm. than kind of yeah. And again, it's cinematic. not quite it's not quite a tile based game because that'd be probably something more like a uh, Fire Emblem or uh, Advance yeah. Wars or whatever. But um, but yeah, it's 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 kind of in between like your third person action game and a a full on point your people in this direction and click on them and then click on the menu type of thing. So yeah, I think I think yeah. that's actually part of what attracted me to the game in the first place. Yeah. 
is because, you know, I had played the Baldur's Gate games at that point and, you know, loved them. And I'm like, yeah. well, this is this is that. But it's it's almost more like you're you're involved with the characters and not just like their yeah. little pieces that you're moving around. Totally. Yeah. And it sort of paved the way for the genres to start to blend together as we see now where action games all have skill rpg skill trees and mm. rpg tropes and crafting and all those other things i realize i completely sidetracked the conversation to talk about what genre this is which is obviously pertinent but i was actually going to ask um particularly rich obviously i think one of the reasons why you wanted to talk about this game was so you could talk about the the characters and the writing yeah yeah i think the before we we touch the characters, there's obviously and I don't want to kind of lean into the gameplay too much because we'll get into actually the material effects of some of the decisions. It's the sort of um, the deep web of kind of decision making that is evident throughout the game. The kind of effect of personal decisions that you make in whether you want to really lean heavily into light side stuff or dark side stuff, mm-hmm. or just kind of find your own like carve a path through the game in your own own way. For me, it was just unprecedented. I had played um, not Baldur's Gate, but Baldur's Gate Two: Shadows of Arm. That was that was a I don't think that was a Black Isle game, maybe uh, as opposed to um, yeah, I think a, right. a Bioware game. Um, obviously, the two studios kind of had a, like a like a long history together. Um, mm. So I, I don't remember that being there, and I don't ever remember playing a game that had that degree of kind of sophistication up until Fable, I would say. So it just stood out to me as something that always felt very unique. And because of that, you get really attached to the characters in the game. So for me, um, it was Candorous and HK47 and the way that they kind of like tease you and um, almost like bait you into making certain decisions just felt like you own the story. Like everybody's own interpretation of Star Wars Knights of the Republic felt very different to the one that I had. And it's just been mm. this kind of like fascinating... Um, conversation for anybody who's played it um, since. Uh, probably, you know, only kind of replicated in the likes of Fable and then uh, Mass Effect because after that, kind of the sophistication of moral choices became a lot more, um, well, a lot more sophisticated with the likes of Witcher and, I don't know, Infamous probably is a bad example, but certainly something that... No, exactly it. where my mind went. This definitely started to pave the way for, again not just in role-playing games, where I think these these sorts of things had been around a bit in Fallout, the original Fallout CRPG and things like that, the idea that you could perhaps uh, make choices within quests and side quests that would affect your standing and things like that. I, I don't think this was the first, but I think it really helped to bring it across into, yeah, console gaming and, and AAA gaming and, you know, other kinds of action games. This is the first time I remember... Uh, characters feeling like they were actually fleshed out with real backstories and i i that's such a generalized statement but i uh in in replaying it now like like you would have basila for example and she's kind of this you know like like pretty full of herself kind of very strict to the line jedi but then like you go to tatooine and you meet her mother who's kind of this monster who was a bad mom who seemed to kind of be of a hang around to the husband and she claims she has this disease but does she really have it you're not quite sure and you're kind of like mm. realizing where basila gets some of her hang-ups or like um our, our mission with like her brother had this horrible woman that stole her away from the new meet that woman and she seems fine and maybe <laughs> maybe maybe mission is just like really resentful of the fact that her brother left and like you start to see the characters that are quote-unquote good or bad having these other layers to them which are you know dare i say it like actual human people and like 
and I remember finding that fascinating and even more so now going back to it and being like, oh, I didn't just, this this wasn't a, a thing I remember the characters for just because I had options that I could affect the story. Like, like these characters have actual depth and meaning to them and backstories that you get to see play out in a way that I, that wasn't common at the time. It felt like you were playing that tabletop RPG, but instead of making your own backstory, here it is, you know, to, laid out for you. And, and to do that in the Star Wars universe, obviously we've all talked about our affinity for, for, for that. It was just kind of, it was just rewarding for like seeking out those side stories and having every conversation and, and seeing every dialogue option and, and, and some of the times where the characters would be like, nah, I don't want to talk about this right now. And then you'd go to talk to them again. They'd be like, no, seriously, I don't want to talk about this. Like it, it, it all felt very human um, in a, in a pretty cool and unique way at the time. Yeah. Um, but back to the characters, um, such as they are within the world. Um, yeah. I want to, uh, we don't, we don't really have time to go into every single one with detail, but the ones that, that stood out to us, I know Rich, you, uh, and this was already, I remember even at the time, in the early days of forums and things, people immediately loved HK forty seven. Yeah, yeah. Um, HK forty seven. I mean, <laughs> description. Um, a Honda assassin droid who is uh, a sociopath. Um, mm-hmm. Refers to any kind of living organism as a meat bag. Um, is a like a, just a, a center of mischief and baits um, the player character into doing anything that is morally reprehensible. And, like, really, yeah. one of the main reasons I love this game, because I do remember sitting laughing my head off at some of the observations that it would make. <laughs> uh, there's a load of, like, choice dialogue to do with him, basically rewarding, um, like, murdering people, making generally reprehensible decisions. And it, it was just so novel to me at the time. It, it stuck with this yeah. for a really long time. And, and and it probably was a bit out of type for that was one of the characters in the game that wasn't just like yeah you're that type out of Star Wars yeah if you were expecting a C three PO type protocol droid in your party you weren't getting him you were getting this sociopath yeah indeed and I think it's something that's possibly like resonated throughout like you know I talk about like elements of Kotor being lifted out of of like non canon into canon like it reminds me of um is it K two S O from Star Wars Rogue yeah. One. Rogue that One, kind I was of, say the um, same thing. Yep. Same type of um, archetype coming through. But yeah, I mean, just, just a really strong character, subversive character, one that you wouldn't have expected in any game, and, and one that really kind of encourages you, I don't know if encourages the right word, but um, baits you maybe is the better way, uh, into playing as, as the dark side, just to see what kind of mischief you can get up to and, and get out of there. So um, synonymous yeah. with this game. Uh, any other favourites or standouts, or, or, or perhaps ones you didn't like? Any of you? I... I really liked Basila. Um, I, I don't know that she's necessarily like the fan favorite from this game, but uh, I really loved how dismissive she was of you and your powers and everything, and like really made you feel like you were this amateurish, not deserving person that she's like saddled with the baggage of when she also knows your history the entire time. So like, it's mm. really, mm. it's a really interesting change. And I know we'll get to the plot stuff later. Um, I think that that was sold very well. I think it was a big reason that the, the whole plot twist worked for me in the, uh, the first time around. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, even though I didn't use him in my party that much, uh, Zalbar, I thought his, uh, his storyline on Kashyyyk was really, mm. that, that was a big part of what drove me through that, that portion of the game. I don't think that, well, you could probably say this about every world. Like there, there's 
gameplay wise, I'm, I'm not sure there's a lot driving me forward in this game without those personal side stories on each of the worlds. Um, and his in particular, I thought was uh, mm. with his brother and his father, I thought was really well done. It just, just like made me have an affinity for that character to where I had to have him in my party for those moments. So I just kind of kept him because I had this connection with him, you know, so uh, I, those were probably my, the two I res- that resonated with me the most. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jennifer Hale played, plays Bastila. She was obviously already a, a known and popular quantity. That made a lot of sense. My favorite piece of casting, though, has to go to uh, Master Vrook Lamar, who is a little Yoda guy. <laughs> and he's played by Ed Asner <laughs> of, uh, of Elf and Up fame. Sadly, no longer with us. Also famous, of course, from uh, the Mary Tyler Moore show and Lou Grant. Um, so yeah, they got they got Ed Asner in to play a Yoda. And note, note that he doesn't have the kind of like um, affectation in, in his accent that, that uh, Yoda Not does, in the same as well, way. which is yeah. always very odd. Yeah. Doesn't have the syntax. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bastila Shan's character was originally meant to be Vima. Sunrider, a Jedi from Dark Horse Comics Tales of the Jedi series. The name Bastila was originally meant for Juhani's character. Eventually, it was decided to create a different character rather than use Vima Sunrider. The new character was named Bastila, while the other character who bore this name was named Juhani. When the player first meets the Jedi Juhani, if they choose whether to turn her back to the light, uh, they choose, they can choose, sorry, whether to turn her back to the light side or kill her. When doing the latter, the player will have a showdown with another female Jedi who claims to be her lover. She also makes an appearance later in Korriban in which she makes a final attempt to avenge her lover. Furthermore, when playing as a female character and taking her with, she will occasionally flirt with the player in classic Baldur's Gate 2 fashion and by the end of the game confess to have romantic feelings which the player can return. These two females are thus the first homosexual characters in the Star Wars universe. I never got any of that. Maybe it's just because I didn't spend enough time with her. But uh, yeah, yeah. I can tell you, though, that uh, if you um, so towards the end of the game, when you have to confront Bastila, who has been turned at that point to the dark side, um, Mm. it is it is more difficult to turn her back as a female character because you cannot romance her. So ah. I, I mean, it's not impossible by any stretch. I failed, sure. but uh, I failed and killed her. So uh, I used the powers of my sheer masculine uh-huh. animal magnetism right. to mm-hmm. bring her back to the light. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is that? Uh, is I want to. I want to point yeah. out that um, on my most recent playthrough, I completely forgot that Jahani was a playable character because I murdered her as soon as I got her in <laughs> close proximity to her. It was only at the end when I was like, "Oh, hang on a minute, I've got a kind of empty character slot here. What's going on?" Oh yeah, there's the uh, the Jedi that I murdered in cold blood about three or thirty or forty hours earlier. <laughs> you were playing dark side throughout here. Rich. I, I've never once played a light side uh, um, playthrough of um, Star Wars: Knights of the Old Republic. I You're know, such a righteous person in real life. Look, I spend all week, every week, being as morally upstanding as I possibly yeah. can. This is my escapism, you know. Um, yeah, you really do. And and it's also, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I don't know what this says about me, incredibly funny sometimes to, to witness some of the carnage and suit. Yeah, the the dark side options in this are co- cosmically it, and comically. Yeah, because... It, like, dark side is... No, I was going to mention how I, I asked you uh, if you 
sided with the slavers on Kashyyyk because I because knowing your personality, yeah. I would think that like that that type of fascist behavior is so abhorrent to Rich Davison as a human. And then you sent you had the audacity to send me a three paragraph explanation of how the slavers no, they're not really bad. This is their, this is their like you're trying to convince me of your own wrongdoing in a way to make me feel bad about trying to free the Wookiees. Yeah. Like, you're a monster. <laughs> Listen, y'all don't spend as much time talking to Rich as I do. <laughs> there's some sinister shit going on it's, sorry <laughs> the, but it, it is funny like you'll go into a bar and there'll be um a, i don't know what it is it's like a, a weird alien that i've never seen before on any of the star wars it's a, a character that's basically got a small alien in, on its back and you'll walk in and the the, the choice options are mm. hello or get away from me you hideous freak and no way in between the two and and the yeah, yeah, sort yeah. of like <laughs> yeah the yeah. binary nature of some of the conversations is so kind of dissonant that i can't help but just laugh at just how absurd it is like it it's mm. beyond the point of um parody it's just complete comedy yeah there, there even is by some... the time of mass effect they toned down that the renegade stuff a bit i think that's that's Sorry. actually what i was going to say like right. it, it is it is not as feasible to me to kind of play a moderate character in this game you could mechanically do it but it would involve like giving one super good answer and then one super bad answer and you know doing it that way when i played mass effect i was not like strictly paragon or strictly renegade i was picking choices that i thought sounded like actual choices that i might make and you know that that kind of drove me more down the middle than than it did in this game I I think I uh I ended up just close to the light the full light but it was a little bit farther down because I messed up the trial on the water planet I can't remember the name oh, of the yeah. other, but, so I, I became an accidental <laughs> narc and all of a sudden killed the wrong person I gained a bunch of dark side points I was like oh but I didn't want to re-roll it cuz it felt like a really earnest and honest mistake so I was like I'll just you know, yeah. this is the way it goes. You know, sorry. I was a good girl. I, Walking I was, by the I weeping good. widow and being like, sorry, <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. I messed up. <laughs> We've definitely got the 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 thing that um, it's almost like the, the the problem that came back with L.A. Noir to an extent. The, yeah. I can't really tell what the thing I'm about to say means. <laughs> like, even though a lot of the time it's sledgehammer obvious, whether it's dark or light, once you once you're in a dialogue tree there, it can become a little bit more uh kind of not random not arbitrary exactly but a bit of a gamble as to whether you take the correct option and then yes this game does have even on console has pc styles save anywhere so you can you can uh duck back out if you feel like you've messed up and also like who you're talking to because i mean you you do kind of have to pretend to well one of the paths that you can take involves pretending to be a dark side in order to get yeah. into the Sith Academy. And, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. it's there are even some places where it will give you kind of the same option, but one of them will be like, persuade, you want to let me in because I'm super evil, or persuade slash lie, you want to let me in because I'm mm, super yeah. evil. You know, it's 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 kind of interesting yeah. that way, although maybe not as refined, kind of, as, as we mentioned, that it would become in later games with those I, kinds I, of dialogue I, options. I would be remiss if we, if we didn't mention, so, so if you choose the dark side, you run the real risk of playing a character that is more evil than the bad guy guy in the game which is absolutely right and true given that you are the bad guy in the game as well so it Mm -hmm. kind of loops around quite nicely um but 
it, it can be a little bit jarring because the amount of mental gymnastics that the NPCs make when you make some really like reprehensible choices is is quite funny. So yeah. like you know like yeah. um they'll be like oh yeah he's he's just like um I don't know headstrong in in the in some instances and then in some instances it's like mm. you know like the empire are providing us of stability and all that sort of interest and stuff. So they've done a lot to try and sort of at least make some of these incredibly severe negative reactions make some kind yeah. of sense within the uh, the universe itself. But um, it probably makes more sense to go around with the already dark aligned characters in your party if you're going to take that to unless, yeah. unless you want to see how how the uh, the goody two shoes jump through hoops Precisely. to justify I mean, your terrible actions. Always patting you on the back for murdering people in a dialogue choice. So, you know, it just kind of makes it a little bit easier. But I think, you know, as you get towards the end of the game and, and um for me, um Bastila makes the choice of becoming Darth Revan's um apprentice. And like Jennifer Hill's performance completely oh, yeah. turns on a diamond. She's among the most evil things I've ever think mm. I think I've ever heard in any game ever. Um, cool. so it's a really like yeah. strong performance and that kind of tone a cadence changes fully and and it just makes a, a lot of sense you know ultimately it's just about a, a rise back to power the instincts kind of emerging and, and kind of giving into the the dark side and, and that way so it's not a um it doesn't sit in, in like a, a, a sense of dissonance with what's going on it's actually quite well put together, at least in my opinion obviously subjectively granny 7989 from the forum says can we talk about karth for a moment Karth is frequently criticised by players who say that he moans all the time, which I don't think is the actual problem with the character. Karth was betrayed by his mentor and thought he lost his son during the bombardment of his home planet. No wonder he's going to be bitter and slow to trust pe- uh, new people. I think the reason people disliked Karth was because new players would be interrupted with it looks like Karth has something to say prompts <laughs> during exploration forcing the player to stop what they're doing to interact with Karth early on in their playthrough. And that is what I believe is the real reason that made Karth an annoyance. Well, but they do that with all the characters, though, don't they? Yeah. So, I mean, I, it's, it is I, early on. I guess on, it's I because it's at the start. Yeah, it's like... Um, but no, for me, I think it's just because game. Karth is uh, one little baby man. So um, mm-hmm. he also good. never has the he never has the opportunity to seem new and shiny in the way that every character that follows him does. You know, in, in oh, many ways, guy. one of oh, the least person, interesting you know. yeah. characters as well. You know, like just generic white male dude. Uh, anything on uh, any of the other characters, Candorus or or uh, uh, Jolie? Anyone? Candorus is is kind of interesting in the sense that like so he's he's a character that's sort of like um mid dark side as it were and it's not because he's kind of a like a necessarily a terrible individual he's just kind of like has that Mandalorian oath you know you respect power um, pragmatic yeah indeed and, is he meant and, to look like Ron Perlman is that deliberate? he does have I a, don't know if he's mentioned but yes Ron Perlman, he for yeah, sure he, does. Yeah. Small eyes. Um, yeah, I mean, not not terribly interesting, really. He often kind of comes forward and basically congratulates you on being decisive, especially if being decisive involves murdering a lot of people. Uh, mm. So, um, you, you know, you'll you'll generally kind of have him on your party if you want to play as a, as a dark side individual. But other than that, um, I guess he becomes more pertinent and important in Knights of the Republic 2. Oh. We might get there someday when we cover that show. Maybe, maybe. Uh, Jolie, I... So Jolie was one of those characters that like I didn't get to until later on in the game mm-hmm. and this is the the issue with that is just that I kind of already had 
a, a decent idea of who I liked and who paired well together. Um, so, I, I mean, I would still bring him along, but, like, I didn't go to, I think Kashyyyk was the third planet I went to after, yeah. um, after, you know, the first, there when, is a when they give you the set order, of four planets that you can go it. to, I think Kashyyyk yeah. was my third. Um, so, I mean, I didn't pick him up until then, so, yeah, I, and, and something that I, I really, really like about this game that even games now don't always do is that they still give experience to characters when they're out of your party, so you don't have to settle on one specific party, um, which I I appreciate that so much. So, I mean, when you get him, it's not like he's, you know, so far behind that he'll never catch up or anything like that, but it, it's... You know, it's it, you've already kind of got your ship full, and um, you know he's he's coming and he's fine. But I, I don't know. Maybe if I'd picked him up earlier, I would I would have more of a connection to him. Dave Jackson from our Patreon, talking about the big reveal, says I was curious to see how well the big twist is foreshadowed when playing with the knowledge of what's coming. Happy to say that they walk the line really well between setting up the twist but still keeping the player guessing. Kotor also excels in feeling like Star Wars, which is maybe even more important for a Star Wars project than the actual plot. Have we, have we said what the twist is yet? We've, we've heavily alluded to it. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, lay it out there. We've, we've issued a spoiler warning. Yeah, so you find out pretty far on into the game that the, uh, so you, the, the Revan, uh, who you have been kind of chasing this entire time, who you're not sure if they're dead or if they're alive, but this was the other dark side leader with Malik who had um, had kind of caused all this chaos to begin with. You find out that the character that you have made, um, which I don't think we ever talked about this, but um, I hit the random name generator on my character a bunch of times. And the one that huh? I finally settled on was Bryn Star. So, um, real name <laughs> that the character name generator gave me, and I thought that was really funny. But whatever, cool. yeah, whatever your character's name uh, is, um, whether it's as cool as mine or not, you find out that your character <laughs> is actually Revan, and you've just lost your memory because you yeah. were injured so badly in the battles that came before, and that Bastila knew this the entire time because she was one of the ones who took you and and Malik out. Um, and and is kind of using you along with the Jedi Council to get the yeah. results that you need. And what's sort of sort of interesting about that, as well as it being uh, an unusual p uh, plot twist, that's uh, I would suggest handled it in a more satisfying way than the subsequent, the later game, Heavy Rain, by uh, <laughs> by, by a man who's going to be uh, helming a Star Wars game. Um, is it sort of opens up uh, a discussion about the nature of the light and the dark side and nature or nurture and all that kind of thing yeah. because you were a dark side person which meant that at some point you got lured towards it then you lose all your memories and you basically have you know suffer identity loss and you come back out and then you have that you have a clean slate uh, according to the game you start exactly on the kind of halfway point of your your light side dark side meter and then your actions from there on have a huge uh impact upon 
the fate of the galaxy at this point. Well, it's, yeah. I mean, they, they do that with other characters too, right? Like it, it's, mm. it's almost presented as too easy to, to flip between light and dark side. Yeah. You can, you yeah. know, Juhani started out as light side and then was turned to the dark side and you can flip her back to the light side if you, if you don't kill her. Same thing with Bastila, you know, she starts as light side and yeah. then goes dark side and then you can flip her back to the light side potentially. Um, so I, it's, I did find that to be kind of weird because it just it, yeah. and I understand why they had to do it that way but like it just it's presented as not quite trivial but like a lot easier than you would think quite right I wonder if it had an effect on the <laughs> I'm sure it didn't because I bet Lucas wasn't paying any attention to what Bioware were writing but actually the way that it happens in Revenge of the Sith is uh, yeah incredibly like that like uh, it, or in, in terms of how Anakin's passage to the dark side you know, he's shown as being an annoyed and stroppy and frustrated teenager. And then suddenly he's murdering children like that is one of the, one of the, the main criticisms of that film is, um, although it tells this amazing, wonderful story, the way in which it's told is, uh, is yeah. clunky. And and the it's that feeling of Star Wars that um, Dave Jackson's correspondence mm. kind of came out, which which makes it credible, uh, which makes um, KOTOR feel like a credible Star Wars thing for me, like. Um, you know, Star Wars for me is at its best when it's kind of flirting with like real world politics. So it's one of the reasons why the Clone Wars series is is so kind of important, and because mm, it it discusses things like you know like what happens when a a kind of religious organization becomes a pseudo military uh, setup, yep. and and it's it's there in um, Kotor as well, like the idea of you know. Um, an individual basically being able to kind of like flirt with the dark side, like moving in between different environments and different decision makings and then ultimately having a separate outcome. I think it's kind of fairly tastefully handled. Um, and, and I'll be honest with you, as, as a 17 come 18 year old, when I originally played this, it blew my fragile mind that um, they kind of went there. And, and I guess like having gone back this year and played it through for the X time, I just... Not not only did I know the twist, but I think I saw every single kind of tell uh, yeah. coming up there yeah. in a much more kind of um, obvious way. So I, I think the clues were there all along. Um, if you really kind of have your your kind of wits cut about you, and it kind of does mirror the whole shock of um, you know, Luke, I am your father, like somebody yeah. who you're close to being the, the source of the evil that you're kind of chasing. Uh, Granny7989 says, uh, my God, what a twist it was. I still remember the cutscene playing out as Revan reviews, removes his helmet. And I thought, hey, that face sort of looks like my player's face. It is my player's face. I've been Revan this whole time. It really made me recontextualize the whole story I'd played up to that point. And Alex79 says the twist is one of gaming's greatest in my eyes, even if you do see it coming a mile off. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk a bit about the graphics. So this game was, yeah, Xbox exclusive originally and then arrived on PC 20 years ago. And my recollection is that uh, I wasn't blown away by the visuals even at the time. But obviously they were quite cool because they were relatively complex and high resolution and it looked like Star Wars. But I don't think... Um, I don't think it was ever considered a kind of visual tour de force... Um, now playing it this time, the it is worth saying that the 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 backwards compatibility on Xbox here does a really nice number on this game, 
uh, and I think it's a 12 times resolution boost compared to the original Xbox hardware. Mm. It's got a lot more pixels. Yeah. And obviously any frame rate issues that were there um, are completely absent. Things like the if you play it off the SSD, the loading times and save times are trivial and, and all this good stuff. So it's a really nice way to play it without it being a, an official remaster. You can buy it off the digital store still for a, under a tenner, under $10 or whatever. And and that's really cool. But I will say that I actually found the game pretty bland to look at, uh, especially this time around. Like there's some quite nice art design that, as I say, looks to me like it resembles pre Star Wars by about 40 years. If we <laughs> if we put, push that aside, um, there's a real and again, it almost it almost feels mean because the game is 20 years old, but there's a lack of lighting the only bit of the only lighting you ever really get is a bit of glare from a from the occasional sun um it just all looks quite flat to me um there's a couple of nice planetscapes but a lot of them are pretty barren and bare and the faces obviously look like 20 year old video game faces i guess what i'm saying is i mean the lightsabers still look pretty nice and glowy but I'm saying you probably wouldn't come to this for the graphics now, especially in you know, like if you've just been playing Jedi Survivor on on your Series X or PS5. Yeah, I think the success in this one is more the animations than it is the actual kind of mm. visuals. Um, that it the level of interactivity in the world isn't huge, but the things you can interact with do look really nice. Whether like those cylindrical containers that have that nice little swivel open animation, or even like the doors opening differently on each planet and things like that, really do kind of. The, the details, I think, are good, but I think you're right. I think there is a lot of drab kind of environments um, that you see. A lot of, you know, a, a lot of dark, grayish hallways, you know, those types of things. Mm -hmm. um, I, sure. the, the one, um, the one I think, counterpoint to that is the final planet you go to, which I think it's just called, yes. is it the Forbidden Planet? What there's a... Uh, it's like a mystery planet, the one that you crash on. Yeah, it's a mystery yeah. planet. Um, yeah. That's very, like, it's like, you know, bright beach tropical scenes. You know, the, yeah. it's got new wildlife, new, like, like that one, I think it, it kind of is an odd, uh, not maybe not, it just stands out as compared to the rest mm -hmm. uh, when you get there. Um, it's just being something unique. But uh, in, in general, I think it's more the details that I'm, fo that I enjoy in this game rather than the, you know, the overall look of it. Yeah. yeah, the the rancors running around on the beaches is quite a funny. Memory <laughs> yeah, from mini rancors. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I'm, I can't lie. I remember being incredibly uh, impressed with the chrome um, bodysuits oh, of the, yes. the Sith soldiers. You're right. Time. That's the shine. The 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 normal mapping or whatever it is, or yeah, yeah pseudo reflective surfaces. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it it still looks okay. I would say. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not really one for graphics normally, but um, just an observation on on something that you said like it, it definitely does feel flat and i think that's probably for two reasons there's not much elevation in any of the environments that's also a good point yeah. and yeah. um Everywhere's something fun. that i felt acutely this time is uh your camera movement on the the right mm. stick in my case um you cannot look up or down so you nope. don't you don't yeah. have the ability yep. to kind of take in any of the you know the yeah. sky boxes or really kind of peer around and and sort of taking everything that, that there is there, so it felt very archaic in, in that sense. Mm. Uh, another thing that I, I found was impressive was just the and I, 
I have this problem whenever I'm playing any game that invites you to walk anywhere ever. Is the the flourish that you make with the lightsaber? Like if I'm walking anywhere, I'm doing that oh, over, and absolutely. over and over and over and over again. <laughs> In the same way that you do the roll in Ocarina of Time, uh, you know you're not getting anywhere yeah. any faster, but you may as well do it just to kind of keep you engaged. Ah, that sound and the flip is just magic. It's all yeah. magic. <laughs> the audio design, well. I mean, I'm sure some specific Bioware sound people worked on the game, but the vast majority of the noises I noticed were the ones from the Star Wars library, mainly designed by the great Ben Burt. And as we've said with the other Star Wars games, uh, for those of us who have an affection for that audio palette, then, yeah, well, you were just alluding to it. The sound of the lightsaber, the sound of the blaster, the sound of the engine, the sound of the Wookiee roar. It's just... Yeah, it's just like an. It, you could almost say it's a cheat code to instant uh, affection, but it works for me. Yeah, there's, there's some gen like general bits of like audio nonsense that always keeps it in my mind. At the sound of unlocking, um, just the yeah. little tinkering that goes on there, mm. the menu clicks and beeps. You know, they they yeah. feel very much like they put me in a time and space of of 2003 when when this game came out. I don't think I don't think they're that good necessarily, but they're certainly recognizable. Gameplay-wise, so, well, let's have Dave Jackson start us off from our Patreon. He says, I've been playing the Baldur's Gate series for the first time recently, as well as replaying Knights of the Old Republic, and I've been struck by how much KOTOR feels like an evolutionary link between Baldur's Gate and Mass Effect in Bioware's lineage. The combat and RPG elements are console-friendly, but they feel extremely dumbed down at the same time. So as an RPG, KOTOR left me really wanting when compared with Baldur's Gate, and the Mass Effect games continued the trend away from RPG design. Now, I've never played Neverwinter Nights, but it it seems to me from what I know about it and what I've seen of it that that's the real, the one that kind of where they started to make that that move. But it was also, but um, but that was obviously that was still very much computer, home computer based. So they still had plenty of room for lots of little tiny icons and things you could click on and all that kind of thing. Whereas in this game, kind of you've got an interact button and a d-pad and kind of away you go really i think the only thing that i would maybe take um a little bit of a different look at is is that it's to me at least and i mean people are going to see this differently but uh i don't feel like it's an evolutionary thing necessarily because to me that that Hmm. that I'm not sure if this is what they if this is how they intended it or not. Um, but I, it, it seems like almost a value judgment. Like Mass Effect is obviously the perfect outcome of these. But if that were true, then would they really be putting out a Baldur's Gate three right now? I mean, maybe, maybe they would be. <laughs> and like I said, it's yeah. it's it's a it's a personal thing. So I mean, if you feel that that it's um, that the Baldur's Gate games do not have uh, as as good of a, a style of gameplay, or or just even just a different style of gameplay than the one that mm. you prefer, then you know totally fine. But um, I I think I still enjoy kind of that style, and I'm looking forward. I, I haven't actually played uh, Baldur's Gate three is in uh, early access right now. I haven't played any of it. Yeah, it's um, been for a while. Yeah, and I think it's supposed to come out fully sometime this year. But um, that's not actually Bioware, though, is it? No. It's, uh, it's is it someone? Studios, yeah, the, yeah, yeah it's someone emulating Bioware, also. right? But I think it, it. I think it's pertinent again, referring to the the modern uh, 
CRPG games that are deliberately designed to hark back. And I yeah. know you've played the. That's, you that's played more Divinity. what I'm talking about. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so I mean, I still enjoy those types of games, and I don't. I, I think that there's room for both, as opposed to like, well, they started out this way, and then they just got better and became Mass Effect. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. And, I, yeah. and again, I'm way oversimplifying. I'm not saying that that's what this person is saying, but um, that's just a personal opinion. No, you're right. There are there are absolutely there are options in the same way as. Yeah, as, as we've discussed many times and, and probably the conversation's changed because this podcast's been going over a decade, but genres seem to homogenize to an extent because mm. other genres took in influences from other things that worked in other genres and it was easier to include all these kind of crazy features as uh, as the tech got more capable and the controllers had more buttons and things like this. But what in, what inevitably ends up happening is that you get smaller studios and developers releasing non-triple-A titles or, or, you know, actually out-and-out indie titles that very much hark back to the origins of the genre because people always want to play them as they were back then and rather than the, yeah, the kind of smoothed-over kind of every every genre game that a lot of games can be nowadays. I think there'll always be an audience for, yeah, Pillars of Eternity and, and Divinity and, and all things I think like for me that, maybe for sure. it's just more a question of how much the how much the D&D has surfaced, really, because, I mean, these are all built on yes. roughly the same system. Um, it's just like, I, I mean, you, when you when you play Knights of the Old Republic, you are literally putting points into stats, same as you are in Baldur's yeah. Gate. And you don't quite do that same thing with Mass Effect, but, um, but you know, it's yeah. still under the hood there. Um, and I mean, that's, again, that's not to say that um, that there are games that, I mean, there are newer games, like, Dark Souls, you put you put points into stats. You know, it's it's yeah, absolutely. it's not a um, a question of linearity in that in that. It's just kind of how how much is it on the surface that what you are really doing is rolling mm. dice here. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. I mean, it goes without saying this is this is just a, a great big dirty lift and shift of the Wizards of the Coast Star Wars RPG into a back end mechanic. And I happen to think that, and I don't think this is a bad thing. It's just like a statement of truth, like. For me, this is the most egregious example of like a turn-based game being put into something that is an otherwise third-person kind of system. Like every turn takes six seconds. There is a very real risk that your character will just miss, and you have to wait for your next opportunity to miss again, and mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Um, I think where it's at its weakest, however, and, and I don't know if this is just because of the difficulty that I played on or whatever the case may be. Of the many, many, many force powers that you have and different types of um, attacks that you've got, I genuinely don't think there's that much point in trying to basically like meander around and do loads of different stuff when really power strike is kind of all you need to do for 40 hours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. And then yeah, it, it, you could see the lineage there too in the item descriptions and like the, the stats on your armor and your various shields and things like that. And, and basically the move from... From this gate, from Baldur's Gate to and Neverwinter Nights to this to then the Mass Effect series is all of the items and points are doing the same things in every game. It's just how much of it is on the surface as opposed to buried, right? Like, mm. like you move on to Mass Effect and you have armor that has stats on it, but the stats aren't they're they're less the plus and minus. They're less of a range. It's just like your defense is now twelve as opposed to you know ten to fourteen or whatever. Um, and it it's just taking that RNG and burying it a little bit under another layer of kind of a UI flash that brings more people into the fold without feeling like they're going to get lost. Um, I, 
personally, as someone who loves but struggles, I get paralysis when playing um, like CR traditional CRPGs. Like, mm. uh, like I just, I, I've, I'm, I'm so, I get so lost in the granularity of it that this kind of move. Mm-hmm services the player like me and i could see where the frustration would be if you were someone who were coming from a Baldur's gate and be like this is their next game and and seeing that difference but but yeah. as rich said there are there's exploits to that too because like if with enough force points and enough you know the, the heal powers you have and the, and the you know the critical strikes and the power strikes and things like that you can kind of mash your way through it without actually it being a button masher it's a um, it's interesting and then and then as you alluded to before leon and i know we talked about this you know in the slack leading up to the show that like basically the game tries to solve this at the end by instead of increasing the complexity and the granularity of things, it just throws everything in the kitchen sink at you to see what you can get through at the end. So um, you you can kind of see maybe some of the failings in that system as you approach the end of the game. But in general, I think it serves as a nice kind of bridge, um, which, which I would say a bridge between two styles, but at the time, they were literally building that bridge between two styles, so it's, yeah. it's interesting to see how it's progressed over the last 20 years. Honestly, I'm, I wouldn't... Uh, I'm, I'm going to say no wouldn't, as in you wouldn't. Um, I'm not complaining generally about it, because I can only imagine how fatiguing it would be coming into every enemy encounter going, right, I'm going to mind trick that one, I'm going to force push that one, I'm going to... Um, flurry this one, I'm going to then throw a grenade, I'll put a mine down. That would be a very intensive experience on what is already, um, if you're having a very svelte playthrough, something like 30 yeah. hours. Mm-hmm. So I um, think this sounds more like playing like The Witcher 3 on, on the hardest yeah, difficulty, precisely. something like that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm curious, I, I played it last on easy mode, Leon, I know you played on the medium mode. Uh, did yeah, you have... until the yeah. last boss. <laughs> well, did you, did you find yourself tinkering about much with the um, I got wiped a few times. Um, I yeah, the, one of my kind of biggest issues in this sort of a, a graphical conversation, as well as as well as a gameplay one, that the as, as as cool as the animation is and the lightsabers look and sound, there's a real lack of drama to the combat, and it can all just there's no kind of there's no impact yeah yeah no impact it's very much like uh like dragon age that would come after it again a game which i perhaps have even more affection for than this one but um but i think designers developers have worked out more in subsequent years kind of how to even in things like the slow-mo shots in uh in fallout stuff to to add a little bit of kind of spice cinematic spice to numbers based combat where you're getting a lot of whiffs and and things like that um, I was happy to use the auto level up button. I, I started off thinking I'll manage it granularly, but then I was just concerned that I would end up do it, basically doing a terrible build that was no no earthly use <laughs> to anyone. And therefore, I thought I'd just let the game kind of do it for me because obviously playing to a deadline, you can't, you know, if you run out of time to beat the game, obviously I could have come on and said, do you know what I did? I painted myself into a corner with my character builds, but... <laughs> I didn't want. To. I wanted to. I wanted to see the, the the twist and the end and all that kind of thing. Um, my main issue with the game's economy of XP and cash is that so there's a piece of DLC uh, for this game, which was uh, the Yavin Station. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. um, now it, this was originally DLC, but it's included now as with all modern versions, and I'm sure I think it just automatically downloads if you put even if you put the old disc um even if you don't have the the license so that's fine 
but at the time this was like a this was in the early pretty much the early days of downloadable dlc especially for console games this was like a it was a relatively low price one i think it was like a five dollar purchase maybe something like that um but really all the best items in the game are in this dlc yeah, yeah. um but they're also also all the most expensive items and even without the Yavin DLC, I went to some of the merchants on the early planets in the game to see what armor they were selling. And it was all like I was going around with like between at various points between like 40 and 500 credits. Now, obviously, things got better as we went along. I killed more Dark Jedis and sold more lightsabers and things like this. But most of the really good armor was completely unaffordable to me from start to finish. And the other reason that I remembered giving up on this game back in 2003-4 was there is no useful uh, stuff in the menu in terms of comparing what you're wearing with what you've got per character. Mm. It doesn't give you a plus or a minus or even just a basic idea that what, you know, there aren't that many numbers involved. So you can kind of, you can jot things down or you can memorize. But I found that uh, even, even at the time, I found it lacking in user friendliness precisely there's a because it's based on the AD&D like d20 system like right everything is basically you will have a plus one on a roll against something it's very hard to kind of pass what that means in actual turn um like combat turns yeah. and the yeah. other thing is i don't know you may disagree um for me there's very little difference between poor armor and the best armor in the game because it's all to do mm. with like an additional plus one on a dice rule you know like mm. so generally i just found it to be oh, okay i'll just stick some jedi robes on and i'll, I'll role play and that's my priority and then come the final boss <laughs> i'll put the heaviest possible armor on this yeah, right. <laughs> that was me I, I would wear davik's armor for the longest time because it was purple and i thought that was cool looking <laughs> so that was why i wore okay. it for the most majority of the game I, I, the um, they do do some interesting things with the armor. Like if you, there are certain Jedi powers that you can't use if you are wearing anything other than robes. Like if you were wearing yeah. light armor or heavy yeah. armor, then it it cancels out some of the things that you can do. Um, but overall, I I agree. It's just I mean I picked something that I I thought I looked cool in, and, and that was pretty much All right, it. Okay. Which which eventually really was Jedi stuff. robes, but it was like one of the special Jedi robes. I don't remember whose they yeah. were, but yeah. Yeah, I found it didn't, well, again, maybe I'm being thick or not reading properly, but it, it didn't always explain kind of the, the caveats, the pros and the cons to to each thing. There, there are descriptions, but they're, they're not massively detailed. The other issue I ha- had with this game, again, both both visually, uh, cosmetically and in terms of gameplay is uh, the stuff that you wear on your head and face looked absolutely awful. <laughs> yeah, to me. Like, really so bad much. and really not very Star Warsy mm. either. Um, yeah, like like a visor. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or those things that go over your ears. Yeah. 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 Dreadful. It didn't it didn't help that like the the inventory itself was that just vertical scrolling list that you and by yeah. the end of the game you just had hundreds of items. You could sort by new, basically, so what you just picked yeah. up, but um, I think that's where you really miss out on now. Like we're 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 currently in 2023. There, there's no problem. Well, they will just treat your right stick or left stick like a mouse cursor. You just move it over and move your things. Like we've gotten yeah. used to that. But back at the time, it would have probably been a lot easier if you had that smaller grid where you could drag and drop things onto your character and you could yeah. see that. But um, the consoleification of these things kind of 
limited that. And now, I, I mean, obviously, again, it evolves over time, but uh, it did like sometimes you'd go in there. I remember particularly um, when you're on the planet with the uh, the Jedi Council, I was looking for those Mandalorian logs for um, mm-hmm. for what for that side quest and just scrolling forever. And like, wait, they were all called the same thing. So I had four yeah. Mandalorian <laughs> logs or whatever. Yeah. It's like, oh, my God. Like, you get a lot just, of things yeah. called data pads. Data pads. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. <laughs> exactly. Like all that stuff but, uh, is just crazy. And they, they all just go into a big pile of stuff. There's no uh, you can't sell this item. Oh, there are some key items I should sell, say, but there's. There, there's no, there's no uh, filtering. You, yeah, you, yeah. You should sell this item because it's definitely just for selling. You should not sell this item because it's really important. <laughs> right. yeah. it, it does give you a warning if you sell something that's worth more than a certain amount of credits. But um, yeah, yeah I, I assume because I, I do, I do remember doing more swoop racing. <laughs> we'll come on to the mini games yeah. um, last time. Is that how you win money? I mean, it's one of many ways to win money. There's high stakes Pazak. You can, if you, if yeah. you're me and you want to go dog side, basically you can make an exceptional amount of money by extorting individuals. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, if you, if you. There were so a lot of times where I had the option to do something like, "Well, I'll do this for you, but you have to pay me more money," and I typically did not pick that option because I didn't find that I was. I mean, I didn't buy a ton of stuff. I never had that much money, but I found that most of, yeah. because there wasn't that much of a difference in the armor to me, I, I found that for the most part, what I picked up, the money that I spent on on equipment was almost entirely on weapons. Yeah. So right. I would buy a lot of um, uh, computer spikes as well. Yes. Because um, I, yes. I would, yeah. I tended to lean towards the hacking aspect of that, uh, but um. But yeah, it, that stuff's it, still pretty fun. Looking at security cameras and electrocuting yeah, rooms yeah, absolutely. for the goons yeah. and stuff. That like was that. a lot of fun yeah. going through through the camera and just seeing, you know, just stormtroopers milling about or whatever. But um, they, I, I would find that in, even in any fight that that did seem too hard or, or anywhere I wasn't equipped for, it and I would get wiped, like you said, Leanne, when I would load back up. Um, my number one solution for that was, oh. I never use my mines, so let me pause and set about 17 yeah. mines and run away. And they just run Absolutely. through the minefield, and it yeah. gives you like a half health bar head start on the guy yeah. that just killed I you. never really used mines, but I found about a third of the way into the game that grenades are really handy. Yeah. Uh, the game gives you a lot of grenades. Surprisingly um, so. Like, yeah, Sith shield, put a mine down, go on solo mode, because if you don't, you know you're... <laughs> You're like, going to kill your own party. Terrible AIs yeah, yeah, are going to run AI, straight yeah. into the mines that you put down, you know, and then oh, uh, watch the fireworks go. Yeah. Alex79 from the forum says, I first played this on PC back when it first came out, and I'm currently midway through a replay on Switch. Back in the day, I thought this was an incredible RPG with fantastic story, fun combat, really interesting characters, good writing, good writing, and it captured the feel of Star Wars really well. Playing it now, getting on for 20 years later, and, well... I feel exactly the same. There are loads of interesting quests, but the one that sticks in my mind as something that really gripped me back in the day was coming across two rival neighbours and you have to try to solve a murder. It was one of the first things I'd done in a game where it felt like you were really impacting upon the world. Of course, that small side story bore very little relevance to the wider narrative, but it felt important at the time. There any notable or memorable non-main story quests that any of you wanted to talk about i think brian already talked about the one that that stuck out to me which was the um the kind of side mission with um with uh on on kashik with um uh your your wookie buddy and his um 
yeah. and his brother and his um mm. father that you kind of go down and find uh in in the the lower um area of the build of, of, the, yeah, yeah, building, yeah. of the of the planet um <laughs> mm. i i thought that that was kind of neat because you know i i imagine that there's probably a way that you can go through that that is not I mean, I don't know if you can side with the brother or what exactly you can do, but there's like another set of stories that's kind of sort of tied into that, or maybe I just did them at the same time, where you're looking for a different um, Wookiee who has gone missing, and there's like this younger, uh, this younger, I don't know whether it's his brother or whether, I, I think it's just like a, a friend and admire, you know, I, I co-worker almost um that like really <laughs> admires this other guy you know and thinks he's doing a really great job yeah. and then you find like a data pad of his that proves no he was actually a slaver the whole time um so you can choose whether to tell the guy or whether to you know just let it let it appear that the other that the other Wookiee died a hero you know and and it's it's mm. I, I thought that 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 whole planet really was more interesting than a lot of the things that i saw other places um so that i think that was my favorite bit for us star wars fans as well uh, you know long-term star wars fans outside of the star wars holiday special i think that was probably the first time we'd seen that planet for for uh, for a long long time because um it appears in revenge of the sith yeah. i think doesn't it mm -hmm. but um but it hadn't up to that point yeah, in one yeah. of the films. It just reminded me of Wookiee's kind of Tarzan in a lot of trees. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so all of the planets have like interesting moral quandaries um, and I could be here all mm. day kind of talking about them. But the, the one that I really want to emphasize is when you're in that final planet in the, the kind of beachhead where the, you know, you're, you're trying to take down the shield generator that's kind of overtaken the, um, the Starforge. Um, there is like a very Mass Effect, which is weird to say, given that Mass Effect was after a bit, a very Mass Effect kind of confrontation if you choose the dark side between all of the crew. Um, and you're basically forced to make a decision about whether or not you want to maintain the dark side or you're going to kind of come back to the light side. And it, it puts you in this uncomfortable situation where you are, oh, well, you, you can choose not to do this, of course, but um, I asked... <laughs> Um, you can, Rich. Yes, you I asked can. Zalbard to murder uh, Mission, who is uh, Zalbard's Whoa. best friend. Z Zalbard what? has a life debt, of I course, and is a monster. struggling yeah, with right. the, the the morality of um, having oh, to do what his his master asks him to, and uh, murdering his best friend. And I, I think it was the one point where the comedy dropped, and I just <laughs> felt like a horrible monster <laughs> in the entire thing. But I just Goodness thought, you know, me. like, it, it's interesting that, like, you know, the decision trees that led me to that point must have been fairly sophisticated. And it's just a huge confrontation between those who, you know, agree with the dark side and those who don't. So, um, well, I yeah, was going to just... ask if, like, if if you go dark side, will any of them ever, like, just straight up leave you? Because I was as light side as you could get and I never lost... Um... I, I I never right. lost because uh, well, Dragon Age did that, didn't they? Yeah, they so, they so they have they, levers. They yeah. Don't leave necessarily, but there is a point uh, towards the end of the game where they basically say, "Look, okay, look, it's our obligation, and I'll stop you because everything mm -hmm. that we've been fighting for yeah. is kind of undone by you, and that's why you have like a confrontation between them all." Um, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I took HK forty seven into the final area. Like he doesn't, he doesn't care. He will, he will. He says yeah, a lot of of uh, nasty thing, or not nasty, but uh, a lot of relatively evil things. But uh, he he mm. will he will 
in the end, he is your droid. Like he is Revan's droid, so um, he will he will stick with you even if he continues to uh, to advocate for the evil path. But um, but he never just you know stops doing what you tell him because it's the guy. I I don't know about Candorus. I didn't I didn't take him too often, well, but. Um, I ended up taking HK-47 in the last area for different reasons, because I was run, running low on health packs, but I had a ton of droid repair kits, <laughs> so that's why I took them with me. Very good point. Yeah, I was going to mention spamming of health kits, which I suppose is the uh, equivalent of potions in a Baldur's Gate game, which I guess is a thing. <clears throat> but I was always, yeah, there were definitely points where I was kind of running low on resources of that nature and was thinking, what do I do here? Um, but yeah, it could usually be gotten around by... Uh, using a, a force-based character with healing powers and things like that. But there there were quite a few points where I was, after an encounter, basically standing still, waiting for the force meters to go back up so I was yeah. safe for, a ne- for the next encounter. I guess that's normal. The the in-battle healing sucks, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. Like, you know, you're queuing up um, attacks and what have you, and three different party members as well, so you really dance in between the two. And the amount of times that... I was trying to get my character healed and I just didn't quite get it in the right order and so you end up losing one and then you wipe and you know it it's it, it's very old fashioned but um yeah it's just an interesting observation. Mm. I had a better time with using the healing uh force power mm-hmm. but if you have a uh, a droid character in your party then it doesn't work on them so you have to still manually switch yeah. to them and have them use the repair packs which is yeah, that's right know, it's, it, it i mean it still is better but it, it's not as uh as slick as it maybe it's still a be. finite resource yeah. ultimately yeah, cool cool mechanic is that um if you choose a dark side character dark side abilities cost less force points um and vice versa yeah. for light side as yeah. well so force heal wasn't really an option for me it just yeah. took too much uh <laughs> Too much of that. <laughs> Too much goodness. But there is there is a, <laughs> uh, not a corresponding power necessarily, but there is a, a power that you can use to heal by draining other characters, or by, by draining enemies, isn't there? Well, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. which, which comes into play in the final fight, where if you've played Dark Side, you've got a massive advantage, right? Um, well, I mean, are, are we talking about the final boss at this point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. Yeah. So the, 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 the final boss is an interesting fight in that it's a one-on-one duel with Malak. Um, and uh, when Malik's hit points go low, he goes over to basically like a homunculus, which is sitting in a Bacta tube, I think. There's um, like 12 or 15 yeah, of them. There's, there are, there are 15. I counted today <laughs> to make sure he, there are 15 of them. Thank you. He, he essentially like <laughs> drains them for life points and then mm. carries on, you know, and, until mm-hmm. there's none left. But um, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if I just have a different sort of like observation or different take on this. I didn't find it to be that bad like obviously he hits really hard but you walk into the room you murder all the innocent people in the the back of the tubes and then you take them out it doesn't seem that difficult so i also morally not terribly difficult but i saw it more as a mercy because they're not really alive at that point (laughs) meanwhile dark side oh heck so you can sorry yep so i think i'd kill them Oh yeah, uh, no. It, see, I used. It, in fact, if you have uh, the destroy droid power, it will kill them in one or two shots. What? Yeah, see, they're not droids. No, no I, but the but the things that they're in are. Oh god! See, so maybe I could have done the whole game on normal if I'd realized that. I also didn't realize until so. There's that room b- before the end, quite quite near to the very end, where infinite 
droids come oh, out unless you show off these computers. Yeah. But but <laughs> this was one that I actually looked up because I was like, I'm not sure what I'm doing right or wrong here because they kept on coming, you know, how it is with infinite respawn rooms. And it said, oh, yeah, there's computers. You can hack them and shut them down and all this kind of thing. Or you can go up to the door and hit it twice and run through the door <laughs> and then you never have to deal with that room ever again. <laughs> I, didn't think of that. Uh, I had no idea. I awesome. didn't know you could. Um, it, there's there's a command uh, just which is just like blow, is it? Bash, just I think. Hit. Yeah, Bash. Just yeah. You can do any, that to a lot of the... Like, every if you single fail... chest that's locked. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea. So again, I've been robbed of loads of resources. Yeah, that, that fight I try to bash is things. miserable because it's like you need to hack every single terminal. Um, if you don't have any abilities in hack, which I didn't, then you need four spikes. And in order to get a spike, you need to get it from a random drop from one of the enemies. So it's well, a really long experience. Not entirely true. There are baskets next to each of the terminals that have yeah. spikes in them. Yep. Uh, one spike. I thought they, they replenished when you killed the droids. Oh, so maybe, I, okay. Maybe I maybe that is true then. I, I don't know. They always <laughs> they always had spikes in them for me, but I, I did kill a lot of the droids, so I guess that's possible. Anyway, pro tip, just leave the room. Uh, <laughs> and murder tip, the not, not from me. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, the game also features, but I guess, I don't know if um, sort of Bioware's previous more computer-centric RPGs had such things as uh, action minigames. Uh, this one has two action minigames and one less action minigame. <laughs> uh, so the first one that you come across is uh, a very episode four-esque scene of uh, manning a turret on the Ebonhawk and shooting some... 4,000-year-old TIE fighter precursors. Um, and I don't think... Can you even die in this? I've never... It didn't look like... Can, I even, you know? Yeah, I you're, think, you're, you're, you have a health bar or damage yeah. bar, I, I saw it, but it never seemed to go down. Mm. Maybe I just rock. Um, anyway, but I thought that still looked... That was like the, the graphics that still looked the coolest to me. Um, yeah, no, I think it's absent right. in... Kotor 2 for one reason because it does feel yeah. slightly at odds with whatever's going on and it becomes a bit of a frustration really for me mm. like you know when you kind of jam between planets it, it seems it's only three fun. to three or four times in yeah. the game i think um the second action mini game is uh is mandatory once and then forever optional after that swoops um speeder bike type things but i guess whatever um this this is an incredibly basic and brief drag race uh, where brief. you mercifully brief. Yeah. I don't know how many tracks. I think is, is there like one track per planet? Yeah. There's yeah, like there six is. or seven yeah. tracks. Um, and you can speak to a local hut who will. Is it always a hut or is it sometimes no, something no. else? So there's yeah. a hut in Tatooine and then for the rest right. of them, it's usually a, is it Twi'lek? Okay. Or something like that. I mean, it's not great, is it? it? It the thrill of changing gear. I'm sure some people like do enjoy, you know, that kind because of, that is basically yeah. what drag racing is. I, I mean, it exists. Yeah. Uh, I guess I can see what they were going for. They actually go left and right a bit in this, yeah. unlike real drag racing. There's like an element mm. of skill about it. It's just that none of the rewards are worth it, um, and there's actually oh, okay. nothing to gain from from like completing them all. So it really relies on whatever yeah. ambient level of engagement you've got with it. I mean, I guess this was coming off the back of the uh, the one... No trophy, no deal. Oh. 
<laughs> yeah, right. One of the one of the the two more liked sequences from Phantom Menace. Um, I mean, it's, yeah, because it's not that far away from it's no episode Revenge, one right? um, mm. on the the same yeah. generation as well. So it stands really at odds with that, you know. Yeah, yeah. If it had been a full blown uh, pod racer type game, then we then we'd have been talking. Um, and yeah, the other game we've already mentioned it. Um, we got some uh, we got some good correspondence about this. So. Uh, Alex79 says, I enjoyed Pazak so much that during my recent playthrough, I even searched for a mobile app to play it outside of KOTOR. And there is one. Along with Gwent and Triple Triad, it's easily in my top three card games inside other video games. <laughs> There's also a Triple oh, Triad man, ter- app. Te- Terra Master <laughs> is up there as far as I'm concerned. I like, yeah. I like Caravan from Fallout New Vegas. That's my... Oh, that's yeah. My I don't typically like card games in video games. It's just Triple Triad for me. I don't know why that game and not the other <laughs> ones, but yeah, Pazak in, in is that, particular. Is that the most broken one? That? Was that the really broken one? Um, I mean, it can be, yeah. Yeah, okay. But um, uh, yeah, <laughs> it Pazak just seemed too random for, for me. I, and I mean, I, I know that all of them are at least to some extent random, all of the games that are mentioned here, but like... This one felt really bad because sometimes I could just hit the button to keep flipping and just win by what I was dealt. And sometimes I would make like the perfect play and it just would get canceled out by whatever the cheating AI was doing. So Yeah, uh, it, it definitely feels weighted in that. I mean, should we describe what Pazak is? It's essentially blackjack yeah. where you have to get to mm-hmm. number 20 as opposed to number 21. But what you get is at the start of the game, you can elect choose a hand of cards that you can randomly sub in um, at any point. And the cards do things like you can essentially, instead of having a random card being drawn, you can substitute it with something that has a very deliberate effect. So it might be a plus four or a minus two, or in some cases, a plus and minus of two. So it allows you Mm -hmm. to kind of um, leverage those cards to get a 20. It's totally fine and it's it's obnoxiously good because it's crap like it, it really is no fun to play but it's just <laughs> enough to switch your mind off and actually um have a good time it's... um the, the issue with Pazak, of course is in game the stakes are always so low that it's almost never worth your time to play right. so you're yeah. really relying on you know like just how much so there's no high Pazak. stakes Pazak. Th- there is but you know by the end by the point that you're playing high stakes Pazak, it's for like 40 um coins and, wow. and that's a drop in the ocean armor's like twelve thousand credits or something for the best armor yeah, or something indeed yeah so i think it might go up to maybe 200 to 500 i definitely well, I never saw had some that money. were 200 max but but yeah, i mean wow. that's still not very much it's, all things the, considered the thing i love about pazak is is the same thing i love about every card game in any game like this is that there's always some crisis that's threatening existence as we know it, and then you're stopping to play cards. I love that. Classic. That's such a human well, thing to do. Like, ah, well, I should probably take care of this real problem I have, but I could just gamble instead. Like, yeah. I love I. It's just see, see it's also fantastic. triple try exactly. You're on a yeah. space station trying to yeah. stop I, a sorceress from being released, who's going to destroy all of time. Yeah, sure. Let's play cards. My my. Well, let's go to the gold sorcerer. My favorite well, meteor hands from a different game yeah. is yeah. when there'll be some villager in The Witcher Three is like this chimera stole my daughter, <laughs> and your response can be like perhaps some Gwent. <laughs> like you know, you can challenge that guy to a card. It's so good, so good. This did remind me a bit of Gwent in the the fact yeah. that there are various uh shops that have specific cards and certain characters hold specific cards i don't think 
there's any Pazak cards for killing certain people. Like I think there can be in the Witcher. But you can but... buy. Ah, I, you might be able to loot yeah. them from some stuff. But I mean, it's all going to be the same set of cards. So yeah, I, I think mm. the 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 main issue. I mean, there's two main issues. Number one is it felt it feels very poorly implemented. It's not badly implemented. It's just suboptimally. Like there's no benefit to playing Pazak other than your joy of playing Pazak. <laughs> the other aspect of it is that. And I'd love to sit down and talk to whoever coded this. It feels like grotesquely unfair in some instances <laughs> uh-huh. where you burn a load of cards to try and get the edge, or you, you know, you you stick at eighteen because mathematically it's incredibly unlikely you do that. And then the AI will just get some sort of hail mary where you know in two cards it'll land right on twenty and just really screw you over. So I think it might just be one of those kind of. Um, I don't know, like observations that you feel like it's unfair and it really isn't, but actually I'm I'm almost certain that there's some kind of um like you know nefariousness behind it like in the back end. There's there's a, a one of the Pazak players early on, I I wish I remembered who it was, but I don't. Um you can actually accuse them of cheating and I yeah. thought Oh, if I accuse him of cheating, maybe this kicks off a side quest because he really is cheating. No, it's just you being a bad loser, which I was. Um. So, you know. <laughs> Not like in uh, Red Dead where it can turn into a bar ball <laughs> yeah. or something No, he like just kind of laughs at you, if I remember correctly. Mm. The, it, there's a couple of them where if you win often enough, they'll just refuse to play with you again. So I think it's just a kind of way to scale the economy a little bit so you don't... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Granny7989, though, says, My friend and I have a running joke where if a game doesn't include a Pazak minigame, then that game is deemed <laughs> to be rubbish. <laughs> She's like us with the hug button. Exactly. Everything <laughs> needs a Pazak minigame and a hug button. <laughs> so there are two endings based on your alignment, the choices you've made throughout the game. Actually, there is a third, according to Moby Games. A third funny ending can be accessed by pressing a button combination just before the final confrontation. Do we know what that funny ending really? is? I haven't seen it. Oh, no, this is news to me. I'm going to have to yeah. check this out. Funny ending. I suspect it's on YouTube, but no, I didn't actually check huh. it out. But uh, yes, light side, dark side endings. Um, well, I think we know what Heroes I think we know Parade. what Rich and I got. Um, you yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, medals and a ceremony again. Not absolutely nothing like Star Wars in any way. Yeah, uh, Wookie gets a medal. I think actually possibly. the only person they because I, I was looking to see if the Wookie got a medal. Um, <laughs> the only person you actually see getting a medal is your character. Oh, okay. All right. That's even worse. Yeah. Um, But yes, uh, obviously decisions have been made. The light side is is your ally. And I guess, yeah, there's no sort of underlying suggestion you're going to turn back again. Nope. Um, It's it's, it's essentially a fascist ceremony where you, like, (laughs) soldiers all line up and, and pledge allegiance to the new dark lord but what's really okay. fascinating about it is just the kind of like absolutely thunderous kind of uh dialogue uh delivered by jennifer hale like who really turns mm. in that moment and gives this mm. very sinister kind of monologue about the dark side rising and stuff it's pretty cool yeah i like it yeah i can't see myself ever replaying the game but if i did i would definitely try to play dark side next time even though it's yeah comically evil in places Overall on the game, Sam Bailey on our Patreon said, I really struggled with this one. I felt the combat lacked any impact whatsoever and exploring the worlds felt deeply unsatisfying. Planets felt like MMORPG hub areas. 
where everyone stands around twiddling their thumbs and I couldn't feel the emotional force pull of the game. Yeah, I suspect some others will struggle similarly, especially coming to this now. So Bioware had ideas themselves for not only Knights of the Old Republic 2, but also 3, uh, but neither of those games happened. Rich, you were a fan at the time, or Brian, do you, do you remember following this with interest or was it just all immediately eclipsed by the news that, uh, uh, was it Obsidian were making us? Yeah, I wasn't a savvy enough video game fan or follower yet to, like, when I saw KOTOR 2 was coming out, I'm like, oh, they made another one, not knowing that it yeah, wasn't yeah. the same people. <laughs> I didn't quite mm. get the nuance of it yet. Yeah, Ob yeah. Obsidian, like, safe pair of hands for any kind of sequel i think obsidian behind new vegas if i remember well, they correctly. would have been if they'd given enough time yeah they uh, had like a course. year to produce a, a sequel yeah. and obviously so famously we're not covering that game but yes famously it was kind of rolled out long before it was done and that's actually yeah pertinent to this news story that you mentioned earlier today uh they were going to because a lot of this content has been reimagined or or found sourced and re-added to the game in terms of mods on the pc version and the idea was that they were going to release this stuff for the the switch version of knights of the old knights of the old republic 2 but that's now been cancelled unfortunately so they considered it though they deemed the game complete enough the sith lords to be released or re-released on switch relatively recently but yet it's still widely known that huge areas, swathes of it were missing and it's lacking in polish and things like and that. And yet a very, very, very good uh, story. Um, and So I hear, yeah. But I don't really want to go into it. Obviously, I think it's... it's it may happen. Yeah, possible. But um, yeah, never seen it. You might end up hosting that one now. <laughs> Let's see. We've got a couple more bits of correspondence. Uh, this is more from uh, Granny7989. I was 13 years old when Knights of the Old Republic launched. I'd never played an RPG before. After I convinced my mother to pick up a copy of KOTOR from Tesco, I installed the game on the family PC and was about to experience a game that was going to forever change the expectations of what a video game could do. I could choose how I wanted my player character to behave. Do I want to follow the path of the light or be tempted to the dark side? I could decide how I interacted with NPCs. Do I want to give a poor beggar some money or do I want to shoot him to death? and take whatever scraps he had. I acquired a ship and chose the order I wanted to visit planets as I progressed through the story. I acquired companions along my journey and responded positively or negatively to my actions. This game had quite the significant impact on defining my tastes during my impressionable teenage years. The fact that I was able to easily complete the story without having any idea on how I was allocating my points and skills to my characters speaks to the accessibility the game has for new RPG players. After I was done with completing the story, I had to go back and see what happened when I made different decisions. Despite my love for this game that began at the age of 13, my now 33-year-old eyes can see some of the problems that are present. The morality system, despite something that's a prominent theme in the Star Wars films, is very shallow. Playing the light side feels like the canonical way that the writers wanted the story to unfold, whereas the dark side choices are so laughably evil that it comes across as very silly. The gameplay, while the standard turn-based RPG combat system using dice rolls to determine combat effectiveness, pretty much looks the same from the moment you start the game to the moment you finish the story. 
thanks to the limited animation work for the combat sequences. Despite these complaints, KOTOR was a game that began my love for the RPG, RPG, RPG genre, RPG genre. Uh, I'm curious to see what the upcoming remake would do to cater to a modern audience, but I would have been more than happy with a simple remaster of the original game. If you have an Xbox Series console, you kind of got access to one, or even the Switch. Finally, we have an emotional post from Worky Ticket, who we haven't heard from for a while, who I suspect was motivated to post about this particular game for reasons that will become apparent on our forum. Worky Ticket says, I always expected that KOTOR would become a huge part of my gaming history. Though as fate would have it, it would be for more reasons than I was expecting. In the lead up to release, it sounded like my dream game, a marriage of my loves for RPGs and Star Wars. I got an Xbox in large part to play it, and it certainly lived up to all my expectations, and then some. Even taking my Star Wars fandom into account in isolation, playing KOTOR was one of my greatest gaming experiences. However, this is where the fate part comes in. A few days before the game's release, my father died of a heart attack. I remember going to pick up my pre-order, still reeling from shock, grief, and the indiscriminate riot of emotions that comes with the loss of a loved one. Over a year of hype, having been completely upstaged, I found myself struggling to muster any tangible sense of excitement for the game. Understandable, for sure, but still weird after so much anticipation. Nevertheless, I forced myself to sit down and play, and right from the moment you wake up on that embattled cruiser, Bioware had me. While I always loved how games like X-Wing, TIE Fighter and Jedi Knight series expanded the Star Wars universe, KOTOR did so with a scope previously unseen in video games. With its combination of new and classic planets, the universe felt ripe for exploration in ways that the movies and extended media never quite allowed, and paired with excellent writing made for an almost perfect Star Wars experience. But as much as I can laud KOTOR for its technical and narrative achievements, it persists as one of my all-time favourites for personal reasons. For me, KOTOR was more than just a game. For a few weeks it became my refuge, a safe space I could retreat to from the turmoil of bereavement. Looking back, I realised how much I identified with the player character's unmoored uncertainty about who they were or what they should be doing. It felt very much like the existential crises that come with losing a parent. In a way, it provided genuine therapy at a point where I needed it more than any other time in my life. Looking back, I can see how KOTOR saw Bioware lay the groundwork which they, in my opinion, would perfect with the Mass Effect series. But as much as I love the adventures of Shepard and Co, KOTOR has a place in my heart that no other game can ever fill. Understandably, I would say. Thank you, um, Worky Ticket, for sharing that with us. Yeah, well said, Brian. Um, yes, and I suppose... I don't know. Uh, I suppose I want to say that, yeah, video games don't always work like that. They're not always the therapy that we need at a particular point. But the point is, sometimes they absolutely are and can be. Yeah. Most recently, in all things KOTOR, other than those news stories, uh, there's a boss fight books. Uh, it was number 20 of that series, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, written by Alex Kane. So if you are a big fan, uh, I would say that's probably essential reading. It costs a whopping £3.92 on Kindle. Um, I don't know if you can still get a physical copy, but, uh, but yeah, 
you're a fan of this game and you've listened to this podcast, then make that your next stop, perhaps. Uh, we, we are not an affiliate. I just wanted to say that. Now on the light side of the force, we've got some three word reviews. Follow us on social media at Kane and Rinse. It's Hayes Hill says apathy is death. Robert Farley says light, dark, gray. Porg of Prophecy says the big one. Midnight Daemon says imperfect yet sublime. Ryan J. Davidson says stellar Jedi shenanigans. Their Fish Pie says an RPG revolution. Nailed it. They did there. Yeah, it's a, it's a pun. <laughs> Uh, and I've ended up with you this sure one. sure have, and I, I looked ahead, good. so I want to hear this. <laughs> Beads of sweat forming as I was trying to I used to be it. quite good at this, but uh, I realise I'm going to blow it now, especially as it's, uh, it's late in the evening. Tales from the Backlog says... <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> Not my best, but it'll do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do the rest of the show like that. Sorry, carry on. Rich. Sorry, I composed myself. Okay. <laughs> sorry, Jay. Uh, Luke Moore says, my favorite game. There we go. All right. To summarize then, uh, recommending Knights of the Old Republic in 2023. Um, yeah, so I was so excited for this game when I went out to buy it that morning 20 years ago. And... I thought it was really cool for a while and then a few of its kind of features or lack thereof and probably a bit my own confusion uh, kind of saw me drift away and into other things. I'm sure it was, I'm sure like every other year, 2003 was full of stellar titles, some of which were, I, I, for whatever reason, I ended up finding more pressing and see uh, 20 years later and apparently a false memory about how much I'd played this game. Um, I finally come back to it for the show and did I enjoy it in part? I didn't, I never, I never loved it. Um, I think even the, the stuff that obviously fans of the game who really fell for it at the time loved, uh, didn't quite land for me in terms of the writing, the characterization, the story and things like that. Obviously I knew the twist by the time I've finally got to it in the story. So that has an effect. For me, I think all the mechanics and all the ideas in this game were then improved upon in Bioware's subsequent games. I really like Mass Effect 2 in particular, but all that trilogy is cool. Um, I, I was a big fan of Dragon Age Origins, which also had some of the same issues in a way. It looked a bit rough and it performed a bit rough in some ways. Um, but I think even in that game... Again, maybe, I don't know, this is the thing with time and context. If I went back to that one now, I might find that a bit clunkier than I think it is in my head. But here we are. Um, yeah, KOTOR is a little bit a little bit plain and a little bit drab, but it does still have lightsabers and Wookiees and droids and some quite cool mission beats. And yeah, like... If you have access to an Xbox Series console or maybe a Switch and you are a Star Wars-y kind of person, it's definitely, you could definitely do a lot worse than checking it out. Effectively, you've got a, a reasonably uh, reasonably nice-looking remaster at your fingertips. I mean, maybe you're the kind of person that wants to just go and play it on original Xbox hardware, in which case, by all means, go right ahead. Um, we didn't get into issues with the Steam version. 
but apparently I'm not recommending that because I haven't seen it and it might be broken. But yeah, mixed overall, um, I would probably say if you're into the idea of this type of game, I'd probably go to the, the Mass Effect remastered first, but obviously that's not actually Star Wars. So yeah, it's a kind of hmm from me, which isn't very useful. <laughs> Leah. Well, Final Fantasy X-2 also came out in 2003, so I don't ah. know how um, objective I can be about uh, the quality <laughs> of... You know, I'm just, uh, okay. So, <laughs> this doesn't have dress spheres. It, it does that not. That yes, that is correct. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I... Let's see. I really like Knights of the Old Republic, but I acknowledge that it has aged in some ways that might make it difficult to come to as a first playthrough in 2023. Um, it is very mechanically stiff. Um, I, I've mentioned a couple of times about how you can practically see the dice rolls, um, and, and that's that's true. It It very much has the same types of things going on under the hood and not very far under the hood as something like Baldur's Gate or a any any kind of just straight up D&D based uh role playing game at that point but it does have a really good story it has interesting characters and it, you know we've kind of already spoiled the twist so if you haven't played the game but you've gotten this far you would be missing that part but uh even still i think it's worth going through to see kind of how they set that up and and what you go through uh my biggest problem with playing the game this time around is that i feel that it has a very slow start um the beginning up to where you kind of uh act interact with the jedi council and obtain your lightsaber and you know are are acknowledged as someone who is strong in the force uh, up to that point it just feels like it drags a lot for me mm. and after that it, it did get better uh i i found that going to the um the, the various planets to kind of find the place the pieces of the star map was more interesting than it had started out and the pacing was a lot better to me uh, there are still a lot of side missions and kind of side tangents that you can go on if you are so inclined, but I didn't do all of them, which is kind of unusual for me in an RPG. I, I tend to be a very checklisty person, but just the way that it was set up meant I did stuff that came along and, you know, things that crossed my path or things which I I crossed their path. And, and that was fine. You know, I, I ended up at a, um, probably not a super high completion percentage, but also once I got over that hump of starting the game, I felt like I had a pretty good time with it. So um, as to whether I would recommend it, I don't know. I I think that it's worth giving a shot to, but I also, it, it's kind of hard to recommend that because because I feel kind of meh about the, the beginning of the game. So it, it's, I, I am not inclined to say, oh, just play it for 10 hours and we'll get good after that, despite what people may think of me and my predilection towards very long RPGs. So um, if I, I think I kind of agree with what Leon was saying. Like, if you are a Star Wars-y type person, if you like this type of game in general, knowing going in knowing that it is somewhat dated, if you don't mind that, and not everybody does, I don't for the most part, but if you if you are very strongly against games that feel dated in their gameplay, then this might not be for you. But if you're willing to put up with a little bit of that to to get this experience, then I think it is still worth it. Um, except maybe skip the Steam version because I hear that's broken. <laughs> and why don't they just make everything out of that metal that those swords Good are made question. out of? 
Mm. Why don't they make the entire plane <laughs> right. out of the black box material? Who knows? Yeah, it's that same question. <laughs> Brian. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to echo a lot of what you two just said, so I'm going to try to tackle it from a little different perspective. Um, I remember playing this game in 2003 and starting out on the first uh, planet, and which is Terrace, uh, which I've messed the name before. And, uh, and, oh, yeah. uh, and you start out in that high section right near the, the apartments, and you see the Sith commander's office and kind of everything, and then, then you go down to the lower level and you're you know in the slums i'm like oh wow this is pretty neat it has this uh, this other layer underneath and then you go down all the way to the bottom and find the people that are living all the way at the bottom of this place and, and the game kind of peels back these layers and layers and, and reveals itself to be something bigger than it is um when i felt played this game in 2003 i felt like over like overwhelmed with all the options and content at my disposal right and coming to that now from 2023 lens i think it's i think it's an interesting game um it it does have all the problems we discussed, and it, it is bland in some areas, and the story and dialogue is a little rote now when it was a little more novel 20 years ago and things like that. But um, if you're listening all the way through this podcast, you've probably already played the game, but if you haven't, um, you're certainly at least interested in the history of it. And I think it's it's the clearest example of where you can look back historically, at least the clearest example I can think of right now, where you can kind of see the evolution of video games in like in motion. Like as we are playing this game, you're you're seeing the steps that Bioware, a, a team that went on to make the Mass Effect series, which kind of really popularized and modernized RPGs in so many ways, and had such reaching impact to the point where Assassin's Creed games were having dialogue options in lit up in red and blue. You know, like it influenced so much of of what video games have become. And this is kind of where you see the building blocks of that. So I think from a historical perspective, it's just fascinating to go back and see the choices that were made and, and kind of the, the options at your disposal. Uh, as far as playing this video game in 2023, is it a, is it just to play as a video game? Is it fun? I think so. Um, it's the combat lacks that weight. It lacks that meaning that, that you come to expect from modern RPGs. And it's not quite turn-based. It's not quite action RPG. So it kind of rides this line. But aside from that, just if you like narratives in video games and, and you like interacting with characters and getting to know the backstories of characters, then I think you could find a ton in this one if you go back to it. Just know that, you know, you're going to have to overlook some blemishes in order to find the fun. But I, I was very pleasantly surprised that going back and finishing it for the first time in 20 years that, that my my list of pros far outweighed my list of cons. So I think that anybody could go back and at least if you're a Star Wars fan or if you're a fan of the history of video games, you could absolutely find a reason to have a great time with this game. Nice. Thanks, Brian. Now you can tell us what's wrong with the Steam version, Rich. Yeah, I've actually got that um, right at the front of my head. So, yeah, Steam version. Um, so, firstly, play it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just don't play the Steam version. The reason behind it is because the V-Sync has problems with your character basically standing still and you can't move. And every time one of the FMV movies comes up, it boots you out of the, um, the desktop, which is is never fun. Uh, immersion break and I think there's obviously better versions to play uh, by all accounts mm. the Switch version seems nice and the Xbox kind of upscaled version seems to be the preferred method but um, yeah the iOS version is also pretty good um, yeah. Yeah, yeah what can I say It's. I mean I largely agree with everything that's been said it's hokey in places um, but actually like it, it was something that John mentioned in the um, Unreal show recently like he finds it hard to be objective about that game because it's so kind of delicately tied in with a time of life and a sense of nostalgia and Koto is really that game for me like as I say hit at 17 year old before I was 
blemished by any of the actual misery of adulthood. So I look back on it uh, as those halcyon days when um, something massive in the kind of gaming landscape just attacked me at the right time. Um, in general, though, like what I like about KOTOR and the, one of the main reasons that I recommend it is because it's such a feature-rich game. There's so many little odd kind of quirks about it that make it quite in, in, endearing. You know, we didn't talk about things like your character's face becoming slightly more evil-looking if you take Dark Side. It's things like that, mm-hmm. just things that have basically these features which have been like work through, workshopped, kind of pulled to the fore and actually kind of um, put together in a, in a nice way that actually makes a lot of sense and, and is additive to the gameplay that's there. The the other thing I think is it, like observation that I would make and conclusion that I've reached is for me, it is up there with among some of the better quality Star Wars caliber kind of storytelling. It makes a lot of sense in the universe despite the 4,000 year leap ahead. Um, if you're willing to park that, then then by all accounts, it seems to fit in the continuity. And it's daring. It takes a risk with Star Wars in, in a, a time period where Star Wars is very risk-averse and universe-shrinking. So it's nice to see that something is of a quality that actually... It doesn't just expand upon the universe. It kind of completely blows it aside and actually pulls something more meaningful out of Star Wars than probably what we would have had if or we'd been left with is the, the Disney stuff. So I'm I'm a huge fan of the game. I think the sequel's excellent as well. I think the um kindest thing I can probably say about the MMO is that it definitely is a game. Um <laughs> I, I don't recommend playing that necessarily. And I look forward to kind of finding the courage to kind of talk about Star Wars Kotor 2 at some point because it's a very different um every different experience and a different history but yeah good on you bioware i think it is the stepping stone towards mass effect one of the most beloved games of all time so for that reason it's an important one so a strong recommend from me cool very cool good stuff it remains then for me leon to thank brian leah and rich now listener you may or may not be aware that uh, these three away from the cane and rinse umbrella in an independent capacity, have another podcast. It's a bit more. Uh, it's a bit more fun than this one. <laughs> this, this dry, serious, old well. nonsense. With with. It's certainly different, <laughs> but I wouldn't say more fun. But yes, we say no? more swears. Well, I'll, I'll, that, I'll that's that. true. Yeah, that swear It's because we don't live it, under the tyrannical yoke of Leon's PG. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. This is why it's completely independent because they don't. You know, they don't want my executive producer <laughs> breath on their neck. Yeah. Um, yeah, but no, it's it's a more light-hearted show. Try and plug it without being too self-deprecating, <laughs> folks. We, um, I'll have a go. Go yeah, ahead, Rich, say, please. We usually, usually I, I would have ruined it. Part. I, I was already ruining it, so go for broke. In essence, <laughs> it's it's called Character Issues. Um, you find it on all of your podcast catching devices, stroke software. Um, and basically, what it is is it's um hosted by Brian, but it's myself and two of the funniest improvisational comedians I think I've ever known. Um, basically put on a very pseudo-scientific approach to rank characters based around a number of different criteria and put a, a very um, categorically, unequivocally um, correct <laughs> list of the best video games characters of all time and Chadley. Um, I don't know if anybody's got any advance on that. Um, it's very scientific, uh, is is what I will add. Uh, we we use science, and scientifically we've found who's our current uh, best video game character of all time? 
Uh, Kefka Palazzo is currently yep. the number one video game character of all time. But everybody mm-hmm. who's listening to the show already knows this because we average about 1.2 million downloads an episode. So I'm mm-hmm. sure that everybody... <laughs> it's, it's a little overwhelming, but... Uh... Yeah, it's a, little, it's a little upsetting from our point of view. <laughs> so you got to do the, the swears. We, it's, we, we tested it. We found uh, yeah, out what brings point. in the numbers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good fucking point. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. It... <laughs> right. Character issues. Find it in places. Uh, Thanks also to Editor Jay, as always, and to our correspondents, plus naturally you for listening. Next time, in issue 573, we'll be at Death's Door. (laughs) 